Welcome back to another Harvest Word podcast. My name is Clifton Gadboys, and before I get into today's topic, there are some things I would love to share with you. God has been doing some things. God has some opened some doors since the last episode, and I really want to share those with you. First on the list is that instead of recording this in the middle of the night using my smartphone, I have now have access to a professional-grade studio. Uh, I'm sitting in a chair in front of a microphone. I have a digital mixer, computer screens, a studio timer. The door to the room e- even has one of those signs on top that, that you know lights up and it says recording. And the best part of it is that I have access to this room at no extra charge to me. So that is a true blessing. Now, given that I have been recording the previous episodes of this podcast on my cell phone, I have been concerned about the audio quality of the podcast, so hopefully this will address some of those issues. I'm still going to be working on the way I speak, the way I articulate things. That's going to be an ongoing process, but again, praise God that I have, that he has opened this door for me. Another thing that I would like to share with you is that just after two episodes, one in July, one in September, the podcast has had 52 unique downloads. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but if you consider that I've only shared it with a few friends and family, that I've only shared episodes of the podcast on my personal Facebook page and on Ding Dash, which is a Christian alternative social media site, that's amazing. Now, there are cities and downloads which I can account for of people I know, people that know me. But there are downloads where I don't know anyone. Take, for instance, Ashburn, Virginia, which is outside of Washington, D.C. Eight downloads. Boardman, Oregon, which is extreme north-central Oregon, right there on the border of Washington. Six downloads. That's amazing. I never thought I would reach people in those places. Uh, And if you want to take a look at the international stats, um, New Zealand, four downloads. Now, I know people there. They have listened to it, shared it. I appreciate the support. But Montreal, Canada... Don't know anyone there. And you're going to hear me smile when I say this because this this tickles me every time. In Germany, there's been two downloads, one in Dusseldorf and one in, and if I apologize if, if I don't pronounce it correctly, Gunzenhausen. And that, that just brings a smile to my face every time. So I am amazed at what God has done with my obedience in publishing these podcasts. I had no idea that God was going to do this, but it just goes to show that if you just be obedient with the little that God has you to do, that he's going to do things with it. He's going to increase it in ways that we will never expect and will totally take you surprise and will be a total blessing and encouragement. So having seen what the Lord is doing with the podcast and having continued in prayer, I talked about in the first and the second episodes about that I wasn't sure about committing to a regular schedule for the podcast. I now have a confidence from the Lord that I am to do that. Now, for the time being, it's going to be one episode per month. Uh, there's other things that I'm doing in life. But over the course of next year, I see the podcast becoming maybe two episodes per month, maybe even four episodes per month once a week towards the end of next year. Um, but I am going to be sensitive to what the Lord wants me to do. I'm not going to rush ahead of him. I'm not going to lag behind him. I want to stay right in step with the Lord Before I go any further, I feel led of the Lord to give praise to the Lord and acknowledge the obedience of some people. There is a family in Southern Florida who, before this podcast ever existed, uh, quite some time ago, they felt a leading of the Lord to support what the Lord is doing in my life. And when I say that, I don't just mean by prayer or by general encouragement. The Lord led them to invest financially. 
real dollars and cents into what the Lord is doing in my life. And they were obedient. And I can honestly say that this podcast would not exist without obedience. So I, again, I want to give praise to the Lord for that. And I want to acknowledge the obedience of this family in Southern Florida. Another thing that the Lord has done since the last episode of the podcast is that some Christian friends of mine who are not only in ministry, but they have that entrepreneurial bent, you know, they're always thinking about and looking into kingdom business. They have been led of the Lord to support the podcast, not just from a spiritual standpoint, you know, prayer and encouraging me, but they have invested real dollars and cents into the podcast. So I really want to give a shout out to them, fiercehopefashion.com. You go to their website. It's Christian t-shirts, t-shirts with a Christian message. And, you know, in preparation for the podcast, I went there and looked around and they have, even since I had looked previously, they have lots of new designs. So I would appreciate it if you would go to fiercehopefashion.com and support them because they are supporting the podcast as well. And one final thing before I get to the main topic of the podcast today, in reviewing the previous two podcasts and having been in prayer and having a sense from the Lord of the types of things that he's going to have me talk about, I looked at the podcast description and I realized that it was maybe a bit misleading, perhaps inaccurate. It used to read a podcast dedicated to a biblical and prophetic discussion of the return of Jesus Christ. And I realized that perhaps when people saw that, they think, oh, well, you know, this is going to be a guy talking about when Jesus is coming back and what that's going to look like. And I'm not saying that I will not talk about those things, but in quite honestly, that is not necessarily the main focus. So I've rewritten the, the podcast description and it now says a podcast dedicated to a biblical and prophetic discussion on being prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. Topics include teaching from the Bible, prophetic insights from the Bible, trends in Christianity, and current events. And I really have a confidence from the Lord that that is a better and more accurate description of what this podcast is about. And you may be asking yourself, well, what's the difference or why make the distinction? The weight of Scripture, and I'll just focus on the parables of Jesus here, the weight of the parables of Jesus talk about servants being prepared or not for the return of a master that they didn't know exactly when he was coming back. And I, for me, from what I understand about uh, eschatology or end times, that is an important distinction. And it's something that I will be talking a lot about on the podcast is not perhaps not so much when the Lord is going to return, but being prepared for the, his return. So that's it for all the updates of everything that God has been doing since the last episode. I know it's quite a bit, but you know, we are commanded by the Lord to share what God has done for us. So I wanted to take that time and not only praise God for all that he's doing, but to share it with you, to, to encourage you to help build your faith. So today's topic, Parable of the Talents and the 2020 election, is something that the Lord has been speaking to me about since the 2008 election. And when I say speaking, I really should say that something that he gave me a revelation on, and I have prayed about it, I have looked up scriptures about it, and I've discussed it with other people over the years. But before we go any further, um, I encourage you to put hit pause on the podcast, go to Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30, read the parable, and then come back and hit play. So hopefully you took the time to go back and read the parable of the talents. I think I'm safe in saying that most people who would be listening to this podcast have at some point heard a teaching 
or a preaching on that parable from the standpoint of being a good steward, of being a good servant. And that's certainly a valid application. Most English translations in verse 14 use the word servant, but that's not exactly a correct interpretation, especially from the standpoint of how we think of what a servant is today. The Greek word there, doulos, actually refers to a bond slave. And yes, the word slave has a negative connotation, and rightly so, but I'm talking about a bond slave from a biblical perspective. And to find that, we go back to Exodus 21, verses 5 and 6. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. And that is that is a biblical perspective of the word bond slave. As a matter of fact, the New Testament uses that word doulos 12 different times to refer to Christians. So that is the perspective that we're supposed to have, that we love the Lord so much that we're never going to leave him. There's another word found in the New Testament, which is translated as servant. That's diakonos, has a mostly similar meaning, mostly similar connotation to doulos, but just a little bit different. Uh, Paul uses that in Romans 16 to refer to Phoebe. And there's yet even another word found in the Greek New Testament, which refers to a servant, and that's methodos. That's a little bit different. Now, that's the word in John 10, where Jesus is talking about the hired hand, the false shepherd, the person that's only in it for the money, and that has a definite negative connotation. Now, you might be thinking to yourself right about now, Cliff, why are you throwing all this Greek at me? Why do I need to know all this? And in return, I would like to ask you a question. Out of all the languages in the world, why did the Lord choose Koine Greek, what we call Biblical Greek, to be the language that the New Testament writers used? Now, part of the answer of that lies in the fact that it was a very common language. It was used over a wide geographical area, you know, i.e. the Roman Empire. But another thing that you might not know is that Koine Greek is a very precise language. Have you never heard that in, in the biblical Greek, there are four different words which are typically translated love, yet they have four different meanings, four different connotations? And again, you might be thinking, okay, well, why is this important here? Well, I just showed you that there are three different words in the Greek which are typically translated as servant or slave, and yet they have three different connotations. And this is important. And it's important because if the Lord highlights a particular verse to you or you know, uses a Bible verse to give you direction, it behooves us to have that understanding of what was actually written by the person that the Lord used to write it in the first place. Now, for many, many years, Koine Greek, Hebrew was the uh, kind of arena of scholars, okay? You had to have, you know, you had to take a lot of classes, you had to go learn these languages to really kind of truly understand them. But in today's world, you know, there's, a, there's websites where you can literally look up a verse in the Bible and you can see the original Greek, the original Hebrew, and then you can click on a, on a word in the verse and get the, you know, the Strong's number, get definitions and all that. It's very easy. It's not like it has been. So in my opinion, you know, we are responsible to, uh, to have that understanding, to, to understand the distinctions. Now, I'm going to give you what I think is going to be perhaps an eye-opening example of that. Let's go to Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. That is what most English translations read. And yet, if you look in the Greek, that word, that's not methodos, 
It's not even diakonos. It is doulos. It is so the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bond servants. And I pulled the definition of bond servant, a biblical bond servant, from the book of Exodus. Now, not only is that word doulos found in Revelation 1.1, but let's go to Revelation 7.3, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bond servants, the doulos bond servants of our God on their foreheads. So what it says there is that it is only the doulos bond servants of Christ who are going to be sealed at that time. Not the methodos, not the diakonos, only the doulos servants of Jesus Christ. Now, in further podcasts, I'm going to be expanding on both that idea and other ideas, um, looking at the Greek and trying to apply biblical definitions to a bunch of verses that we've lived by all of our life, we've heard preachings and teachings on, and yet I have come to understand that a lot of times we're not really getting the full meaning, the full understanding from those verses. But in this context, again, I just want to show you that you know, God expects, expects us to be bond servants, okay? Not just kind of like, you know, casual Christians, if you will. Just like it says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, we are bought with a price, okay? We're, you know, and as a consequence of that, everything that we have and everything that we own belongs to the Lord. Well, how does that apply to what I'm talking about? Well, I'm going to get there. So everything that we have belongs to the Lord, and that includes everything material and everything immaterial, like our vote. See, so maybe now you see where I'm going to starting to go with this, okay? We as Christians cannot simply vote based on our limited perspective and personal bias. We must vote according to the precepts founded in the Bible and revelation from the Lord through prayer. Now, like I shared before, this is something that I have been studying since the 2008 election when the Lord brought it to my attention. In the fruit of my study, and also listening to other people talk about this, I have developed a kind of issue list that I go through, I look at, and I know what the, the Bible says about these issues, and I look at how the candidates kind of stack up, okay? You know, what are the candidates' position on these issues? And I choose a candidate, I they get my vote, not based on, you know, if I like their hairdo or not, if I particularly like their personality or anything. I know I apply this checklist to what their stance is, and when the, it's available, their voting record, and that's, you know, and then I take that all to the Lord, and then that's how I cast my vote. Now, for many years, I've been using what now, I'm now calling my short list of issues to kind of, you know, put the litmus paper to the, a candidate. And once I read those off to you, I think you'll understand why, as a Christian, those issues concern me. They are abortion, Israel, the definition of marriage, and prayer in school. Uh, but lately, I've added to that uh, national debt reduction, um, how the government deals with people, you know, unemployment, and even how uh, a candidate sees what the role of government is. And I think I'm going to start right there. Romans 13 verses one through seven, you know, you go and read it, but simply put the purpose of a government, according to the Bible, according to Paul, the apostle, the purpose of a government is to reward good and punish evil. Now, it's not good and evil as defined by the society or even the government, but it's good and evil as defined by the Bible. Case in point, not that long ago, no Christian in America or many places in the world for that matter were allowed to attend worship services at a church. 
Now, and, and that caused a controversy between Christians. Do we obey Romans 13, obey the government, or do we obey Hebrews 10, forsake, forsake not the gathering together? Now, my take on all that was that, yes, for a short time, the government had legitimate reasons to keep people from meeting. But if as things developed, you know, certain governments in certain states let churches start meeting again. And in certain other states, well, they were prohibited for a much longer period of time. And even when they were allowed to meet, very strict regulations were put on them. And at that point, you know, I think that people were justified to pay heed more to Hebrews 10 than Romans 13. And for those state officials that are up for re-election, I'm going to look at their record. Did they support reasonable restrictions and then an, a reasonable relaxation as quickly as possible? Or did they carry on this mandate of, no, you can't meet, you can't meet. But then even when you can meet, you've got these unreasonable expectations. And as you probably know, even in some states, this has been carried to the point of absurdity. This is just the first example of how we take a, an issue with a biblical perspective and look at a candidate and justify whether or not we can vote for them. Okay, so let's move on to the next topic, abortion. And in my opinion, this should be a no-brainer for every single Christian. And yet there are many people who at least claim to be Christians who support abortion. Psalm 139.13, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. That one verse alone shows that God is involved in the womb, in the developing baby. Exodus 21, 22 through 25. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. Verse 23. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life. That verse right there establishes that as far as the Lord is concerned, that unborn child has the same value, is just as much made in the image of God as a person who has already been born. Leviticus 17.11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, a baby has a heartbeat at five and a half to six weeks after conception. What is that heart pumping? What is that heart beating? Blood. Therefore, we have a not just a biblical, but a very scientific definition of someone who is alive. Leviticus 18.21, you shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech. One of the most grievous sins committed by biblical Israel was child sacrifice. In Jeremiah and Ezekiel, this was repeated multiple times as being one of the main reasons that Israel was being judged. Now, there may be someone listening to this podcast who's thinking to themselves, well, you know what, that's all Old Testament stuff. Where is it in the New Testament? Okay, here we go. Luke 1.15, and this is Gabriel talking to Zacharias about John the Baptist. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Is that not someone who the Lord would consider alive? Does the Lord fill just a lump of flesh with the Holy Spirit? No. Luke 1.41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth was only six months pregnant. Okay. And yet this baby, not only filled with the Holy Spirit, leapt. The baby heard. The baby understood. And yet there are some politicians who would say that that baby could be aborted. I challenge you that if you can find a biblical justification for abortion and thereby a reason that you can justify Voting for a politician who supports abortion, lay it on me. 
On to the next topic, Israel, Genesis 12, 3, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, Israel is meaning the people, they're the natural children of Abraham, okay? And we as believers in Jesus Christ are the spiritual children. Go look it up. It's in Romans 11. Now, my understanding, my conviction from the Lord is that this concerns the people of Israel. And you're going to, the inevitable question is, does that mean that I think that Israel has a right to be a country? Absolutely. There are borders established in the Bible, So I do not advocate anything which proposes to give away land that biblically belongs to the Israelis. However, that does not mean that either the people nor the government of Israel gets a free pass to do whatever they want to do. The Bible, funnily enough, the Lord gave Israel very explicit instructions on how to deal with foreigners who live within the territory that God gave them. So in evaluating a political candidate, I'm going to see if, number one, they are advocates of Israel keeping their land, yet are friends with Israel so that they will kind of hold them to the line of treating people in the correct way. On we go. Definition of marriage. Now, again, this is something else that, to me, should be a no-brainer for any Christian. And yet there are some people who call themselves Christians, and they deny what the Word of God says. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Those two verses alone establish a lot of things. First and foremost, that God created people, either a male or a female, and that his sanctioned union union between a man and a woman is called marriage. Anything else besides that is sexual immorality, perversion, and or abomination. Leviticus 18 and 1 Corinthians 6. And as we all know, the world is defining for themselves things about gender and what a union is between different kinds of people. So again, when we're considering voting for a particular politician, we need to look at their record. Are they upholding a biblical definition of marriage and gender, or are they subscribing to what the world says about those things? Okay, on to the next topic, prayer in school. Now, please understand me when I say that I don't advocate any kind of prayer at all being mandated in school, public schools, okay? But people should be allowed to freely express their faith. Now, for us as Christians, Proverbs 3, 6 and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Mark 8.38 and Luke 9.26 For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And, oh yeah, there's this thing called the First Amendment of that document called the U.S. Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, understand me when I say that I understand good order, especially in school, okay? I have kids. But the problem arises when you allow one group to exercise their faith and not another. We have seen multiple examples in recent history where Christians were not allowed to freely express their faith publicly, or some excuse was made up as to why it was inappropriate, and yet other people were allowed to express their faith publicly. 
The commandments of the Lord and the rights guaranteed to us by the Constitution do not stop at the schoolhouse door, nor even the door of your workplace. So here again, when we're considering voting for a particular candidate, does their platform, does their record show that they uphold what the Bible says and what the Constitution says about people's freedom of religion, or are they discriminatory? Do they favor one religion over the other? Debt reduction. Proverbs 22.7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Now, most people look at this verse in terms of an individual, and that's very, very true, but... We also need to look at this verse in terms of cities and states and, yes, our country. So is the candidate that we're considering, are they pursuing economic policies which are going to increase the debt upon a city, state, or a nation? Or are they pursuing economic policies which are going to get us out of that debt? Pro-work. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Again, for me, that's a very clear commandment to Christians. We know that we have work to do from the Lord and that we should be doing that work as unto him. In terms of looking at a political candidate, is that candidate pursuing policies or advocating policies which make it easy for everyone and his brother to get you know, a bunch of benefits from the government that they may or may not need? Or is that candidate pursuing policies which really target those people who are truly in need? And I'm not against government assistance because the Bible is full of scriptures with talk about helping the widow, helping the orphan, and those who are not able to earn a living for themselves. But the goal should be so that they are not dependent on the government. So that completes my personal list of issues that I consider. You know, I check to see what a candidate's stance is on those things when I'm considering whether or not I should vote for them from a biblical standpoint. Now, some of you may have noticed that I didn't mention a very big issue in this country right now, and that is race. And I didn't do that. I'm breaking it out, so to say, because the Lord has given me some specific instructions on that. So Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, for me, that's very simple and straightforward. But you may be thinking, well, Cliff, you know, why did the Lord have you break this out? Why is it such a separate category? And for that, I'm going to talk about Matthew 24, 7, Mark 13, 8, and Luke 21, 10. And yes, it's a verse that's found in all three books. And actually, I'm going to read Luke 21, 9 through 11. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow it immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes, and in various places plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Now, most Christians understand that those verses are talking about the end times. But here again, I'm going to throw some Greek at you. In Luke 21.10, where it says nation will rise against nation, that word that is translated as nation is the Greek word ethnos. And that word refers to a race. So instead of country will rise against country, like we tend to think, it's going to be race will rise against race. Furthermore, the word there that is translated as kingdom is the Greek word basileia, which actually doesn't refer to a kingdom or a country in the terms that we think of it, but is more precisely um, interpreted as ruling authority. So let's go back and read verse 10 again. Then he continued by saying to them, race will rise against race and ruling authority against ruling authority. So now let me ask you this. What two areas of conflict are mostly in the headlines today in this country and in several other countries as well? 
If you have any doubts whatsoever that we are actually living in the end times, in the times leading up to the return of Jesus Christ, please, please reconsider that. Because not only in terms of you know, Israel are we seeing prophecy fulfilled, but we're seeing it right now in this country being fulfilled. And please understand me, I'm not in any way implying that race is not an important issue and that the Lord does not care about it. He certainly does, and so do I. However, what I am saying is that for purposes of this podcast episode, my instructions from the Lord were to talk about race, not in terms of just a political issue, but that is it is a significant in time issue, and that in later podcast episodes, I will be addressing this. And I'm guessing that many of you right now are thinking to yourself, well, Cliff, okay, I heard your list. I heard the Bible verses that you used to show what the position of the Bible, of what God's position is on all these issues. But the problem is there's not a single candidate who has the biblical perspective on all these issues. Aha, I'm glad that you asked. James 1.5 But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So that's the point where we go and pray. And we say, Lord, I'm considering these two candidates. Which one do you want me to vote for? Because neither one fulfills your requirements. Neither one has a biblical perspective on all these issues. What do I do? And then we vote the way that he tells us to, with a vote that we gave to him, when he bought us with a price and we became his. That is the thoughts, that's the actions of a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Now, I have used a lot of scripture in this podcast, and the reason for that is to show you that I'm not talking from my opinion, that I'm talking from the word of God. Then there's even a verse for that, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, as I'm recording this, it's just a day shy of it being three weeks since the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I don't have to tell most of you how that impacts, how that makes this upcoming election all the more critical. But I want to point out something that you may or may not have heard. You know, the date of her death was not an accident. You know, the Lord mandated the day of her death. Her passing was just a few hours shy of the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. And now many people refer to things like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur as the Feast of Israel, but that's actually incorrect. They are the Feast of the Lord. And when you look at several different scriptures, you'll see that these are feasts and celebrations that we will actually observe even after the return of Jesus Christ. Now, the Hebrew word that is used for feast is moed, and it means appointed time. And it also means dress rehearsal. So in other words, back when the Lord instituted the Feast of the Lord, he was looking ahead and he was telling the Israelites and us that there were going to be certain times which were going to be appointed times by him and that they were actually to be dress rehearsals of things that were going to come. Now, Jesus actually fulfilled three feasts with his death, burial, and resurrection. And a fourth of the seven feasts was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And there are some people who believe, I'm one of them, that when the Lord returns, he's going to fulfill the other three remaining feasts. So to bring it back around now, on Rosh Hashanah, one of God's appointed days, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passes away, leaving a vacant seat on the Supreme Court. Now you notice those who are advocating that the replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg be chosen after the election, they're not concerned about issues of race. 
They're not even concerned about issues of feminine rights, women's rights. No. What two issues are they talking about when they show concern for who the replacement is? Abortion and gender issues. Do you think it's a coincidence that Ruth Bader Ginsburg held positions on those two issues which go against the word of God? I believe that those are the two issues that are on God's heart the most right now for this election, and that Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing, the timing of it, and the vacancy on the Supreme Court is a sign of that, which again just emphasizes the critical nature of this election in America. And it also emphasizes the critical nature that we as Christians should not be voting according to our opinion, but we should be voting according to the precepts found in the Word and the command of the Lord that we receive through prayer. And to bring it back around to the parable of the talents, what happened to those bond servants which did not use what the Lord had given them to good use? Did he reward the, the one who hid it? Did he reward the one who didn't multiply it for use in the kingdom? No. That servant was punished, and even what he had was taken away. And the conclusion that I draw from that is that for those of us Christians who live in countries with open and free elections, if we do not use our vote the way the Lord mandated, both in his word and through revelation and prayer, then the Lord has every right to create circumstances where we lose our right to vote or make it such so that it's meaningless, as it is in some countries. And I want to reiterate, I don't think that this applies just to Christians in America. It applies to Christians in every country where there's open and free elections. Being a good steward of those things that we have received from the Lord does not just apply to the material things like we've always been taught, but it also applies to the immaterial things like our vote. And if we do not use our vote according to God's revealed word and according to the revelation that he gives us in prayer, then the Lord has every right to take it away from us. You know, I'm wondering right now, How many of you who are listening to this have never heard something like this? And I, quite frankly, I don't know, because again, this is something that the Lord has put on my heart for the last 12 years. I've shared it with some friends and family and a few select people, and now I'm sharing it publicly. I know that there are others out there who have uh, taught and preached similar things. So I know that I'm not the only one that the Lord has been talking to like this. I'm not the only one that he's given this revelation to. Yet there still seems to be many Christians who think that they can vote according to their opinion based on a particular candidate's personality or their hairstyle. And that is just not, that's not biblical. And if we do things that way, we're going to be held accountable. We're going to have to answer to the Lord as to why we didn't do things the way he mandated in his word. Why we didn't seek him out in prayer as to who to vote for. It's very clear that there are many critical issues at stake in the upcoming U.S. election. And we as Christians should be reading the word and seeking the Lord in prayer as to how we cast our vote. Because it's very clear, again, that this country is going to go one way or another, depending on the outcome of the election. And I realize that some of you listening to this podcast may not be Americans, may not have a vote in in America. And you may not have upcoming elections in your own country, but please, please pray for America. Pray for the Christians in America that we will vote according to God's will. And if you do have an upcoming election, I pray that you consider what I've shared today to guide your vote. I want to thank you for listening. I know that for some of you, I may have introduced some new thoughts, some new perspectives, and But that's what I'm here for. That is part of my calling from the Lord in doing this podcast. So if I've done that, then amen. 
Now, something that I realized after I published the last podcast is that if you didn't know me personally, there was no way for you to give me any feedback about the podcast. So I've corrected that. There is now an email address where you can contact me with any questions, comments, or even concerns that you might have. And that email address is harvestword.org at gmail.com. That's harvestword, one word, dot org at gmail.com. Now, please understand from the outset that most questions, comments, or even concerns that you might have, I probably won't address to you in a personal email back to you, but I will address those within the podcast because chances are, if you have that question or comment or concern, that at least somebody else does. And so I want to address things that way. Thank you once again for listening. I pray that you've been blessed by this podcast. And if you have, please share it with your friends. As a reminder, it's now available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And if you've been blessed by this podcast, please keep me in your prayers. And if the Lord leads you to support this podcast financially, there's a PayPal link down in the description. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and I'll see you next time here at the Harvest Word Podcast.